0: Let's get to our passage today. I talked too much already. Let's Ezra chapter 4. We're going to read the whole thing. We're in our series with Ezra. And so let's read Ezra chapter 4 together and we'll get into our sermon. The Word of God reads... When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and to the heads of the families and said, let us help you build because like you, we seek your God and have been sacrificing to him since the time of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the rest of the heads of the families of Israel answered, you have no part with us in building a temple to our God. We alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, commanded us. Then the peoples around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They bribed officials to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. At the beginning of the reign of Xerxes, they lodged an accusation against the people of Judah and Jerusalem. And in the days of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Bishlam, Mithridath, Tabil and the rest of his associates wrote a letter to Artaxerxes. The letter was written in Aramaic script and in the Aramaic language. Reham, the commanding officer, and Shimshai, the secretary, wrote a letter against Jerusalem to Artaxerxes, the king, as follows. Reham, the commanding officer, and Shimshai, the secretary, together with the rest of their associates, the judges, officials, and administrators over the people from Persia, Uruk, and Babylon, the Elamites of Susa, and and the other people whom the great and honorable Asher, deported and settled in the city of Samaria and elsewhere in Trans-Euphrates. This is a copy of the letter they sent him. To King Artaxerxes from your servants in in Trans-Euphrates, the king should know that the people who came up to us from you have gone to Jerusalem and are rebuilding that rebellious and wicked city. They are restoring the walls and repairing the foundations. Furthermore, the king should know that if this city is built and its walls are restored, no more taxes, tribute, or duty will be paid, and eventually the royal revenues will suffer. And now, since we are under obligation to the palace and it is not proper for us to see the king dishonored, we are sending this message to inform the king so that a search may be made in the archives of your predecessors." In these records, you will find that this city is a rebellious city, troublesome to kings and provinces, a place with a long history of sedition. This is why, that is why the city was destroyed. We informed the king that if this city is built and its walls are restored, you will be left with nothing in trans-Euphrates. The king sent this reply to Rehelm, the commanding officer, Shimshai the secretary, and the rest of their associates living in Samaria and elsewhere in trans-Euphrates, Greetings. The letter you sent us has been read and translated in my presence. I issued an order and a search was made and it was found that the city has a long history of revolt against kings and have been a place of rebellion and sedition. Jerusalem has had powerful kings ruling over the whole of trans-Euphrates and taxes, tribute and duty were paid to them. Now issue an order to these men to stop work so that this city will not be rebuilt until I so order Be careful not to neglect this matter. Why let this threat grow to the detriment of the royal interests? As soon as the copy of the letter of King Artaxerxes was read to Reham and Shimshai, the secretary and their associates, they went immediately to the Jews in Jerusalem and compelled them by force to stop. Thus, the work in the house of God in Jerusalem came to a standstill until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia." All right, uh, let's pray and let's begin. Father, we thank you so much. Uh, we just thank you so much for your faithfulness within our lives. I think so often we're so like focused on the things that we have to do with our lives and the things that are right in front of our face that we lose sight that you're right there next to us and that you're always there caring for us, loving us, fighting on our behalf. And so today, God, give us open hearts, and open minds, and an open spirit to celebrate who you are in our lives, and to truly partner with you, so we might walk through it with you. We thank you, God, in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. You know, uh, I'm not a very big video game player. I'm not, but I'm going to talk about a few. I'm going I'm I'm to talk about a few video games today. Uh, but there was one game that I really loved when I was a lot younger, and it was on the PS2. <laughs> Do you guys remember that? Uh, it, was called, it was a game called Metal Gear Solid. I don't know if you've you ever played this one. Do you guys know this game? Anyway, it was the first game that I ever got addicted to. And the reason why I got addicted to it is because it was so hard, you know? And the reason why it was so hard, and, and you know, I don't know what it is, like, but I, I just kept on dying. Every stage I would go through, I would just keep on dying. And the more I would die, the more I would get angry. And the more I would get angry, the more I would want to try to do it again. But the more I would try to do it again, the more I would do. Anyway, there were so many times when I would be playing this game that I was just so frustrated that I couldn't pass a certain stage. And there were so often I would be convinced that there's, that there's no way that I was going to finish this game ever. A few months later, finished the game. Yay me. Okay. <laughs> anyway, the reason why I share this is because, you know, a lot of times I think that the Christian life, is a lot like playing video games. You know, I think there's a one-to-one correlation between video games and Christian life. It's actually really huge. You know, it's a journey that starts really easy, and it makes you happy, kind of like the first stage of any game that you encounter. You're like, oh, hey, this is really good. This is fun. I, I get this. You know, maybe there's a few challenges here and there, but you overcome and you fall in love with this game. But you quickly learn that if you want to get to the end, then you're going to have to go through some challenges. And you're going to have to overcome some challenges and some trials, some of them really, really difficult. And especially within the Christian life, sometimes the only way to overcome challenges and trials and difficulties is to die, to die to yourself in order to overcome those challenges. But what you discover along the way, and this is the reason why you stay a Christian, but what you discover along the way is that God is real, that he's your ever-present partner. And that he's always there. And not does he, not only does he help you and strengthen you and help you overcome all those challenges and difficulties, but through that you get to experience how much he actually does care about you and how much he does, how much he really does value you and how much he really does want to help you and strengthen you to overcome all those things. And so those, as we go through those things, as we experience those things with God, it matures us, it strengthens us, it helps us overcome the next challenge in the next phase of our lives. And the point of all that is to once again highlight how much God truly loves us and so that we can fall in love with him and so that we can be his forever. And hopefully those experiences with God motivate you to continue the walk with Christ. And so that you'll want to get to the end, so that you'll want to get to the finish line and really finish this life faithfully for Christ. You know, I think that's the reason why God allows challenges to come into our lives, so that we can know him, so that we can experience him, and so that we can fall more deeply in love with him. And now that we know that, or at least understand that, every single time that we encounter challenges or encounter opposition or encounter trials within our lives, instead of cowering from them, knowing that God's going to use those things to strengthen us and to reveal more of himself to us, we can actually attack every one of those challenges head on. We can actually attack it directly, knowing and being confident that God is always going to be with us, that he's going to strengthen us, that his love will always be closer to us, and that we'll get to experience him much more deeply. Ezra 4 is a story of what to do when you are under attack, right? When you face opposition in life and when your faith is constantly being challenged. That's why Ezra 4 exists for us. And what's really interesting about Ezra 4, I don't know if you got it, but if you read this chapter again, it is not actually written chronologically, but it's a chapter that's written thematically, the first few verses continue exactly where chapter 3 left off. But then all of a sudden what is it verse in verse 5 or in verse 6 it fast forwards 20 years. Right? And it talks about King Darius, which is 20 years later than the current story from Ezra chapter 3. And then it fast forwards 30 more years to King Artaxerxes, Xerxes and Artaxerxes, right? And then verse 24 brings us back to the current timeline. So It's all over the shop, this particular passage. But the question is why? Why does Ezra write a chapter like this in the midst of the story that's going on? And it's very, very simple. The reason why he writes this chapter is simply to emphasize um, and to highlight God's faithfulness to his people as they go through opposition within their lives. That's what it is. He's emphasizing to his own people God's faithfulness when you encounter opposition in your life, okay? And so what chapter 4 is, is really is the huge part of chapter 4 is this story that happens 50 years from now. When the people of Israel tried to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, the surrounding people of the land didn't want them to build that city. And so they were opposed to it. And so the bottom line, the reason why Ezra shares that story is to show the people of today, do you see? God is faithful to us. Even in the midst of opposition, even though everyone in the whole country and the biggest superpower in the world was against us, God changed all that so that we could rebuild the city of Jerusalem. He united us together. He brought us together, and he showed his faithfulness to us. And so when we come back to the current timeline, they're rebuilding the temple, but there's a lot of opposition in rebuilding the temple. But what God is trying to tell these people now is, hey... God will always be faithful to you, especially in the midst of opposition and challenges within your life. So don't lose faith. Don't compromise, right? Don't stop trusting in God. Keep on living holy. Keep on honoring him. Stand firm because God is faithful and he will be faithful to you. And only when you stand firm in him will you get to finish what he began. That is the reason why Ezra 4 is here. And that's the message for us today, to stand firm in Christ. And 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 that's not just applicable to us as individuals, but I think it's really applicable to us as a church. And the reason why I say that is because this particular chapter spans generations, which is what the church is, right? Older, younger, all together. And the reason, and so just like the church, we, or just like individuals, we need to stand firm as a church together against opposition and challenges. And God is going to grow us through those challenges so that we can take on the next one together. But most importantly, through all those challenges, he wants to reveal to us and to show to us how faithful and good he really is so that we'll fall more deeply in love with him. Do you guys get this? Okay, that's the message for today. But one more reason before we get into it. Another reason why this particular passage here, Ezra 40 or Ezra 4, and the reason why this particular passage spans 50 years of history is to teach us that a lot of times the most valuable lessons you're going to learn in your life comes when you overcome challenges, right? Comes when you overcome the difficulties within your life. Sometimes the only way to learn those valuable lessons in life is to actually encounter those challenges, encounter those difficulties and learn how to overcome them with God. God will grow us through those. God will strengthen us through that. God will reveal reveal himself uh, will reveal himself to us so that we'll know him. So it's it's awesome. But challenges challenge also are are a reality of life, right? And the thing is anyone who wants to live for God, they're gonna find themselves. Um, against opposition. And so, you know, the evil one who's always going to use people, circumstances, ideas, whatever he can to try to get in our way to prevent us from building God's kingdom and living faithfully for him. So, let's stand firm in Christ. Today, I want to talk about, the way I want to take our message is, I just want to talk about two ways that these Jews encountered opposition, and through that, hopefully, we'll really learn something about standing firm in Christ through them. Okay. Um, The first attack or the first opposition that the Jews faced came from the people of the land. And we find that story in verses 1 to 5. Let's just read verses 1 to 3 together. It says this. It says, when the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and to the heads of the families and said, let us help you build because like you... We seek your God and have been sacrificing to him since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the rest of the heads of the families of Israel answered, You have no part with us in building a temple to our God. We alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, commanded us. Now, this is a very interesting story. So the Jews come over and they want to build this temple and they start building this temple. But the people of the land... Come to Zerubbabel and the leaders and say, hey, we'd love to help, you know, and which is awesome. And not only that, but hey, we like worship the same God, man, and we want to help you. And so to me, that's looking like a win-win. That's a good, good and good. How, how could there be anything bad? But our text tells us that they, in fact, did not worship the same god at all it says that they are actually enemies of the jews which means that they're enemies of god as well and so they actually came to deceive the jews right so so if that was the case then why would they ever volunteer to do manual labor right which is the, you would never do that even if you're trying to deceive somebody and the most likely answer to that is simply i think they were kind of just hedging their bets for themselves you know these are the people that knew that in the previous temple God had blessed the Jews so abundantly, you know, materially and financially, that if this was real, and if God was going to do that to the Jews again, they wanted a part of that pie. So they just wanted it for themselves. It's all selfish motives there. You know, it's a very scary truth, but many times the enemy can be disguised as help when in actuality, he's really only there to destroy, right? And if we aren't really connected with God, As we do his work, as we live out our lives, sometimes we can really come up against a lot of disappointing and destructive consequences, right? If it wasn't for the tough leadership of Zerubbabel and some of the other leaders, I think the work of the temple really could have been jeopardized in this particular case. So thank God for people who are intimately connected with God. Thank God for people like Zerubbabel and spiritual leaders who truly only want to please God with their lives. You should always try to surround yourself with people like that. That's why it's so important to be at church, or that's why it's so important to be connected to spiritual. It doesn't mean, Just because someone's a spiritual leader doesn't mean they're intimately connected with God. But make sure you surround yourself with people who are. Okay, people who truly love God, because when they're connected to God, they have a, a connection and a deeper wisdom. You know, maybe he was the only one who saw it, Zerubbabel, or maybe he was simply the voice of everyone else who saw it. Regardless, he took a hard stand. Like the words that he says is really harsh. He took a hard stand against the opposition, against the enemy, and he stood firm on behalf of the church. And when we encounter opposition to the work of God, that's exactly how we need to be as well. If sin's in our way, take a hard stand. When we see opposition to the things that we know that God is calling us to, take a hard stand, be stubborn, and continue, and don't allow others to get in our way, right? Later on in this chapter, there's another opposition that the Jews faced. And believe it or not, these guys who were rejected during the, the building of the temple, them, as well as their next generation, they became so bitter 50 years later and they became so angry against these Jews who are trying to rebuild this temple. They rebuilt it by then. Now they're trying to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. They became so bitter that they decided to write this letter to the king Artaxerxes many, many years later trying to stop the Jews from rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. And in that letter, they write, hey, king, these people are rebellious and they're evil. And if the Jews complete the city of Jerusalem, they're no longer going to pay taxes. They're going to cease to fear the king, and the king will lose all of your land in the trans-Euphrates. Were any of these accusations true? And the answer is no, not at all. But what's happening to those Jews sounds a lot like what's happening today to Christians. You know what I'm saying? It's becoming increasingly clear in our day and age that the people in our world regard our faithfulness to Jesus Christ as rebelliousness. Oh, Eddie, that's a little bit radical for you to say, but no, it's really, really true, right? Our faithfulness to Christ, many times, and we'll many times what can be regarded as wicked or even a threat to the economy or to the well-being of our society. And this is what I'm talking about. Uh, do you guys watch QA? and no one watches ABC, do you? <laughs> anyway, maybe that's the, I'm old, so I, I watch Q&A just to see what people are talking and arguing about in Australia today. Anyway, the past week's episode, if you watch this past week's episode, uh, a topic comes up, and what's being what's being discussed uh, discussed is the religious discrimination bill that that is reintroducing these days. Do you guys know this? Anyway, it's happening. Okay, I'm not going to get into any of the legal or political issues through all those things, but what became very obvious to me watching this show is that Christians who hold the conservative, traditional, biblical view on sexuality or sexual identity are a huge threat to freedom and the well-being of our society. That's the way we're being perceived. You guys understand? If you hold the traditional biblical view of sexuality or sexual identity, then the way we're perceived for holding that view is that we are now a threat to other people's freedom. We are now a threat to uh, to the well being of our country as a whole. Isn't that amazing? What was accepted as truth ever since the beginning of time has now become the minority view. Now, please don't under- misunderstand me just in case there's the possibility to do so. We are to love others. We are to love all people. All of us are sinners. We are to love everybody no matter what race, socioeconomic background, or even sexual preference you have. We we are to call to love all people. But what is clear is to align ourselves with what God says very clearly in Scripture in Australia today will invite some very harsh opposition, criticism, and persecution. And the reality is, all points to this reality, that if you are living out your mission for God faithfully in, in whichever arena God has called you to in this unbelieving world, then you really should expect that, that people in this world will take who you are and what you believe in and spin it against you. Okay? That should be what is happening. And the reason why is because that's exactly what happened to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came into this world, and he only came, what? To save and to give his life as a ransom for many, to love people and to show them the better way. But When after he died, what people said about Jesus Christ was that he was an instigator, a rebel, and a threat to society. Those are the accusations made against Jesus Christ. If Jesus was misunderstood by the unbelieving world and crucified for it, what do you think would happen to us if we lived faithfully? That's something that we should be expecting within our lives. Do you guys know that the early Christians in the first few hundred years of Christianity were continually attacked and misjudged for their faith? Do you know that they were considered cannibals, right, the early Christians? And the reason why is because they would say we're actually eating the flesh of Christ during communion. And the world thought that Christians and people in the church were cannibals. Did you know that they thought that people within the church were incestuous? And the reason why is because husbands would call their wives their sister in Christ. And wives would call their husbands their brother in Christ. And and the world thought that was absolutely horrid and disgusting. And if that's the case, then we shouldn't be surprised today when the same thing happens to us, right? When the world completely misunderstands the things that we stand for and the things that we actually live for in the way that we talk. Anyone who chooses to live for God will be persecuted. Why? Because the evil one will use everything that he can to make sure that he stops us in our tracks. He'll use social pressure. He'll use political pressure, threats to our security and our standing, and possibly even our lives. But, and I hope this is comforting, that's exactly what Jesus said would happen, Right? In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 10 to 12, he said, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What is he saying? Jesus is saying black and white, Part of his original foundational teaching, that if you live right for me, you will be persecuted. And that's a good thing. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. When you are, your reaction should be what? Rejoice. Right? Which goes against everything that we think. But he says the reason why is because God will reward you for going through whatever you're going to go through because of me, right? And it's just a beautiful, wonderful thing. But he's teaching us directly that if we live faithfully for God, opposition and persecution should be a part of our regular lives, eh? But when we go through it, we'll be rewarded. That's his promise. Paul actually summarizes it very succinctly in 2 Timothy 3, verses 12 to 13. He says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted, while evildoers and, evil and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, right? So basically, that's what he's saying. But here's the good news. Paul actually teaches us how to stand firm in Christ in verses 14 and 15. It says this, but as for you, here we go, continue in what you have learned and what you have become convinced of, because you know those whom from you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. What's he saying? What's the answer? When you're going through opposition in your life for your faith, when you're going through persecution in your life because you're standing for Jesus Christ, the way you can stand firm is to continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of from Jesus and from Scripture, right? In other words, stand firm in Christ, stand firm in his truth in the face of opposition. And we can do that because just like Jesus said, God is with us. And he loves us and he cares for us and he's going to fight for us. And if we continue just as he commands, we'll finish what he started in us. And we'll be rewarded for it, right? When we encounter challenges and opposition in our lives as Christians, it's so important not to give up. But to continue to live faithfully and standing firm in our biblical convictions. In that way, we honor Christ through our faith and we make our lives a worship to him. But there's one more way that I really think that we can stand firm, and I really believe this one way is very pivotal um, in our walk with Christ. And so this is my personal advice, and that's this. Uh, Don't cheat, okay? That's it. So stand firm in your convictions that whatever you learn from scriptures, whatever you learn from Christ, no matter how unpopular stuff like that is, Stand firm. Believe in it. Bank your whole life on it, no matter what the world thinks of it. And let's live faithfully for God. And whatever, and come what may, whatever persecution and opposition we face, God will strengthen us to help us get through it, no matter what it costs. That's the first thing. The second thing is, don't cheat. Okay, And this is what I mean. Um, uh, five years ago, I think I, four years ago, I bought my kids a Nintendo Switch. And the first game that I bought for them was this game called Luigi's Mansion. I don't know if you ever played this. Um anyway none of us I'd never seen it. It was the most popular game at that time, I think. And so I bought it and like we had I had no idea how to play this game. My kids had no idea how to play, how to use the controls. So I decided just to to play this game myself and they would just watch. And then I had no idea what this game was about. I had no idea how to play the I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to move. Um I didn't know what the goal was. All, I had to figure all that out by myself. And then I realized, oh yeah, you got to find hidden things. You got to like defeat these You know, monsters and ghosts and bosses, and you gotta, and there's all these like, you know, there's like storyline A, storyline B, storyline C, you know, all these, it's, it's, anyway, you gotta gotta figure out. Took me forever to play this game. And, um, but anyway, five months later, after playing like two to three hours a day, which unfortunately I, that's what I did, uh, I finished it. And, you know, when I finished this game, my kids and I, we literally, stood up. We were, like, celebrating. We were, like, yelling, screaming. It was such a great accomplishment, okay? It was such a huge journey. Uh, But it was awesome. Anyway, a few months later, my kid comes home from school, my youngest kid, and he says, Hey, Dad, you know, my friend just bought Luigi's Mansion, and he finished it in eight days. And back then, he was in, like, year two. And I said, And after saying, I was like, wait, hold up. How do you finish that game in eight days? How did he find the hidden gem? How, how did he defeat this guy? It took us forever. How did he know what to do here? How do you know how to do A, B, and C, la, 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 la? And it's like, Dad, did you know all that stuff's on YouTube? I was like, what? He's like, yeah, yeah, all the hidden gems. If you just, like, Google hidden gems on Louis, there's a video that shows you all of them. If you want to know how to defeat this guy, there's, like, videos on all of them. And so I hold up, and I say, hold up. So you're telling me, your friend, whenever he encountered anything challenging on that game, would just look it up on YouTube? He goes, yeah. And then he would just copy and then defeat it? He goes, yeah. I say, okay. (laughs) Made made me feel so small. But, you know, but... uh, at first, I was so ticked off, because number one, I didn't know there were like cheat codes on the internet. I didn't know that you could look up those things. We were so frustrated. Anyway, and my first, but my first reaction, and maybe because I'm old, is why would anyone want to do that? You know, you lose like the whole fun of playing the game. Why would anyone want to do that? But then I thought, but I get it, because the real question is, not who wants to do that, but the question is why would I ever want to suffer? Right? And that's really the question. For a year, it makes sense for a year or two kid. I don't know if it makes sense for a 26, 20, 30 year old playing this game, you know. But anyway, who cares? No judgment. But the question is, who would who would want to suffer? Who would want to willingly suffer to try to figure out something when you have no idea how to figure it out? And I guess in the same way, when it comes to our faith, who would willingly choose to suffer for Jesus? When there are easier ways to live for Jesus, and there are many. There are many ways that you can live for Jesus and completely avoid things like persecution. Uh, You can avoid opposition. You can avoid challenges in that way. And the way I would respond is this way. To this day, there's no game that I love more on the Nintendo Switch than Luigi's Mansion. And it's not because the game itself is good, it's just okay. There are so many better games on Nintendo Switch, okay? But the reason why I love this game so much is because of the journey that it took me on with my children. In the game itself, And also with my kids. I mean, we like suffered through every stage together. We discovered some amazingly fun things together. We would talk about it in the car. I kid you not, we sing the songs of the levels. You know how every level has background songs? You don't realize it, but there are songs. We sing those in the car together. You know, it's become a part of who we are. It's become something to celebrate as a family. It's become part of us. That journey developed a love for the game, but it also developed a love for each other. And it's so really weird, yet amazingly awesome. And I think the same is true for faith. When we choose to stand firm and to go through opposition, to overcome challenges together, and to meet those things head on, and suffer sometimes for our beliefs, that journey deepens our love for God And it also deepens our love for each other if we get to go through it together. It deepens our love for God because we discover that he actually is real, that he actually does care, that he's actually present within our lives, that he wants to give us wisdom to overcome those situations. He wants to give us power maybe to overcome and strength to overcome these things But most importantly, we get convinced that he actually loves us and cares enough to actually be present within our lives. And we walk away, regardless of what the outcome is, being amazed at God and thankful that he's given us Christ in our lives. That's a true gift, right? We walk away absolutely convinced that we truly are cherished in his eyes. That's like one of the greatest gifts. It deepens our love for each other because nothing brings about unity and solidarity. Nothing brings about unity and solidarity more powerfully than persecution and opposition. You know, that makes us want to get together and stay together and be strong together. And that journey is priceless to our faith. And that journey, believe it or not, becomes the greatest fuel for our worship, which is who we're supposed to become. You know, there are so many Christians today who refuse this path of suffering at all costs. And because they do, they cheat themselves out of truly knowing God. They cheat themselves out of the beauty of the church. You know? And it's sad that we would choose a life without challenges or opposition in that way. We. They, they, it's like they're willingly choosing, choosing not to be loved by God. It's like they're willingly choosing not to experience God more deeply and powerfully. It's as if they're willingly choosing not to truly believe in the things that God created like the church in order for us to grow and to flourish and to know him better. So the point is, don't cheat. Don't cheat yourself out of that. Don't choose a life that's easy if it compromises your faith in God because you cheat yourself out of God. You cheat yourself out of the church, out of this community. But when facing challenges within your life and opposition to your faith, stand firm, and continually discover how amazing God's grace truly is. You know our passage today serves as a great reminder that Satan is working hard within our world and even in the church. And because he is, we need to take a, stand, a firm stand against his schemes. And the reason why we can is not because we're such strong believers. But it's because we're all weak believers, right? We need to be reminded of God's faithfulness in the past. We need to be reminded of God's faithfulness in the future. That's why we have revelation. This is what is going to happen. This is what is true. And the reason why we need both is because so that we can trust in him for today's challenges and oppositions that we face, right? So when we do face those things today, don't be discouraged and don't be tempted to give in or to give up. But let's continually step up to the challenge, knowing that God loves us, cares for us, is present with us, wants to fight on our behalf, and is with us. And it's not just us, but it's the church. And once again, I love that this chapter spans generations because that's the church. And it's saying to us that as a church, we need to stand firm, not only for ourselves, but for each other. And I really firmly believe that the church can only truly survive as the church when we are there for each other. So we need to point each other to scripture. We need to help each other when we're down. We need to continue to empower and encourage each other to keep our eyes focused on Christ so that we can cross that finish line together. And that's my prayer for all of you, that through all the challenges that you face in life, that you'll know how present God truly is. Is. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you so that you will stand firm in him through them and so that you can grow to be used powerfully to accomplish his will for his glory. Let's pray. You know, the Christian life is hard. But the beauty of the Christian life is that when life gets hard, God gets closer we're not strong we're actually weak but his power is made perfect in our weaknesses so let's continually boast in those weaknesses let's continually boast in those situations where we have no idea how we're going to get out of it except for God let's continually boast in those circumstances that make it that make life so tough And that we need God to come through or else dot, dot, dot. So that his power can be made perfect in our weakness. Let's reach out to God. Let's depend upon him for everything so that we might persevere. Maybe some of you are going through some tough things, whether it's from the lockdown, maybe it's from work, maybe it's your particular situation, maybe it's relationships within your life, and for some reason it's taking its toll. Let's reach out to God. Know that he loves you. He cares for you. He wants to fight for you. Maybe up to now, you know, maybe your faith really hasn't been priority number one in your life coming out of lockdown. Maybe today's a reminder that, wow, there really is something eternal around the corner, isn't there? I really do need to get back to God. And maybe today's the day that God's saying, come, I'm here. Let's walk together but regardless whatever you choose to do please don't ever cheat yourself out of an opportunity to know God and to come back to God to partner with him to go through some stuff together and to discover how amazing him and the church really is let's give ourselves to him and let's give ourselves to the church so that God might use us to encourage and empower others to seek after him as well let's pray we thank you so much that you are so faithful to us God thank you that you're always there right next to us God I just bring um, myself and each one of us uh, to you God we need you we really do it's so hard to live as a faithful Christian in today's world. There are so many things against us. There are so many other things that look so much more attractive. Sometimes our understanding or our view of Christianity is so archaic, or at least it feels archaic. But that, but there is absolutely nothing in this world that compares to knowing you and to being with you. And so, God, I, I ask that you reveal yourself to us once again as a church, that we might just see how amazing you are, how beautiful you really are, how pure and beautiful your love for us really is. So much so that it would actually change us to want you and you alone in this life and to treasure you above all things so that it would be our joy to go through any opposition or persecution that you might send our way or befit us or think that we are worthy to overcome with you. That's a journey that I want to sign up for, God. And I pray that that's a journey that each one of our people can go on so that we can know you and love you and truly live a genuine, sincere life of worship for your glory. So God, work. Work. You don't know, work in our lives. Grab a hold of each and every single one of these hearts so that you can be real and everything to them. We thank you, God, for all this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen.